direction we're headed, because being poured out or something pouring out can lead your mind in a bunch of different places. Uh, I remember one night, years ago, uh, James was just a real little guy, and it was right before bedtime, and he came running to me, just overcome with hysterical laughter, and he said, Dad, the toilet's filling up. (laughs) And he was so excited about it, he'd never seen anything like this at that point in his life, and had no idea what was coming next, and so at that point, it was the coolest and funniest thing he'd ever seen, and um, we both run to the bathroom. He's running because he doesn't want to miss a minute of it. I'm running because I want to put a stop to it as quickly as possible. Um, uh, So, you know, maybe that's one thing we think, something's going to pour out. You know, that's not great. Uh, Maybe you think of carefully pouring a soda so that the fizz doesn't, you know, run over the top. Uh, Maybe you think of the last time you went to pour a glass of milk and you tipped the carton up, and instead of milk nicely pouring out, a gelatinous blob went and immediately release the smell of death around you, right? You think, oh, gosh, that was a bad way. So um, how some of you eat sour cream, I'll never know, because uh, that's what I think of when I think sour cream. Um, but uh, one thing we talked about, it was, it's been in the last month or so, and it's so simple, and, and we only talked about it in passing, but if you remember, it's so simple, you're going to think, why is he even talking about this again? It's just a normal thing, okay? Um, what pours out of a vessel, whatever it is, is only what is in the vessel, okay? So uh, the reason toilets, whatever pours out of your bathroom floor out of a toilet is what was in the toilet. Uh, the, the spoiled milk globs out because it was already spoiled in the thing, right? That, that, this isn't a, a revolutionary idea. You can only pour out what was already in the container that you're pouring. And what's interesting is the same is true of you and me. The kind of lives that we live, the things we say, the actions we do, the thoughts we think, those things that come out of us are only the things that were already in us in the first place. And so you might have a moment where you say, oh, you know what, I didn't mean to say that. But inside you're like, out loud. Because, I mean, you thought it, you meant it, you just didn't mean to say it out loud. But it was in there already because what's in you is going to come out of you. You're just like another container. Whatever's in you, whether it's spoiled milk or fresh milk, whatever you pour out is what's going to come out. And one of the reasons I think that so many of us struggle to live the kind of lives that we know we should is because we're allowing ourselves to be filled up with the wrong things. We spend more time letting ourselves be filled with News that breeds fear and anger or music and movies that are obsessed with sexuality or views and beliefs of the people that we just spend the most time around. And we spend more time being filled with all that kind of stuff than we do with the grace of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the things of God. So that when something happens and our life spills out, what's inside comes out, it's not the stuff that we're really proud of. It's things sometimes that we're often embarrassed by. So when it comes those moments where the inside comes out, it's not the godly choices that we know we should make. It's things that we often end up being much more disappointed in. Now, for the next several weeks, what we are going to talk about is what should pour out of the life of believers, okay? Because every single day, God is pouring ridiculous amounts of grace into our lives. Um, And by grace, I mean the fact that he's just constantly giving us stuff that we don't deserve, 
even a little bit. Um, the greatest of those gifts came from Jesus, that, that we were a mess and God sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for our mess so that we wouldn't have to suffer for it. So every day that I'm a believer, I'm walking around in the grace of Jesus. Every breath I take is the grace of Jesus. And so every human being, as we understand this grace, not just in our heads, but it gets into our guts and actually makes us feel something and and feel gratitude for it, we should, should let that grace fill us up to the point where what comes out of us naturally is grace and generosity and kindness. What should come out of us is what God is daily pouring into us. And when we open our eyes to his lavish grace, when we experience all of the grace that God is pouring into us each and every day through his son, and we actually let ourselves appreciate it and give time to thinking about it and dwelling about it, that's going to be the kind of stuff that starts coming out of our lives. We will be the kind of people that naturally are gracious and generous. And so, um, if you want to understand what it's like when God is pouring his grace on you, It's like trying to pour an Olympic-sized swimming pool into a thimble. He has all kinds of grace. He never runs out of kindness. He never runs out of love for you. And we will never be able to contain it all. It should just be hitting us, filling us up, and just pouring out, overflowing into our lives. And so there should be no shortage of grace that we can show others. But, basically... What that means is the Christian lifestyle should be marked by a very, the very essence of generosity and graciousness, okay? The Christian life should be marked by a very generous and gracious lifestyle. That should just be the natural actions that we take as we're walking around every day. Because again, we're getting filled up and that's what's coming out. We're filled by the grace of God. And before you get nervous thinking, oh no, he said generosity. Is he going to like give a hard sell and pass the plates or something like that? No, that's not what we're going to do today. We are actually um, just, I think, going to talk about the fact that generosity in a Christian life, it goes far beyond financial giving. It's, it's an attitude of who we are. We're generous with our time. We're generous with our energy. We're generous with our, the things that we have in our life. We just want to be kind and give to other people because God has so richly given to us. And so, yes, the Christian lifestyle should um, include financial generosity, but it should be much, much, much more than that. Now, if we are going to be the kind of people that pour out the kind of grace that God is pouring into us, um, what is interesting is we have to respond properly to God's grace. And so before we really get too far into talking about this, what I want to do just really today is I want to talk about two traps that people fall into when they try to respond to God's grace in their life. Um, These two traps are like opposites, but equally dangerous. Okay, think about two deep ditches on either side of the road. Okay, you got to turn your steering wheel in different directions to get there, but if you fall into them, it's going to total your car regardless of which ditch you fall into, okay? So there's two traps to how we respond to God's grace and how we often get it wrong in our modern world. Here's the first one. I call it the reverse gospel. This is when we just kind of get everything backwards about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, The way that we encounter, uh, the way an encounter with God should go is we hear about Somebody talking about, someone like me maybe preaching about, a friend telling you about how much he loves you, how much grace he has for you, how he wants to be in a relationship with you, okay? And even though you're a mess, God loves you, okay? And then we see that love, 
surrender our lives to Jesus. And even though he loved us in our mess, we surrender our lives to Jesus. And we're so grateful for what he's done for us that we then want to start living a life that reflects his goodness and says goodbye to our old way of living and says hello to a new life where we're living like Jesus. Okay? And so this person realizes that God's grace is so incredibly good and that it starts with God being good to us first. Um, one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy named John, wrote this in a letter we call 1 John. He says, in this is love, meaning he's, this is what love is. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. A propitiation is just an offering that turns away wrath. Meaning that, yes, we deserve wrath for our sin, but we're a mess. But Jesus came to help us avoid that. Out of his love, he was a gift, right? So, now what happens, though, is for a lot of people, the grace of God, it really seems too good to be true. I mean, how many of you have ever fallen for something that was too good to be true? Some of you are like, I got engaged to something that was too good to be true, maybe at one point in your life. I don't know. Uh, maybe, it was the, maybe it was one of those infomercials that you bought into. You, you got the thing, it was going to be so good, it was going to change your life, and you got it, and it was like, well, this piece of plastic is just as trashy as every other piece of plastic I've ever purchased. But whatever it is, we sometimes fall for things that are too good to be true, and so when it comes to something like Jesus' grace, which is like, hey, are you a mess? Yep. Well, God loves you anyway. Mm, are you sure? Does he know what I've done? Are you, maybe if you knew what I had done, you wouldn't be telling me that. And so what happens then is when we start to worry that is, if God's grace is too good to be true, we get everything backwards, okay? So rather than thinking God loved us while we're still a mess and then he helps us get cleaned up, we start thinking, you know what? God's love is so good, I, I know I have to get myself cleaned up in order to deserve it. And we get things backwards, and we start trying to clean ourselves up or, or in a way that we try to earn God's love, which is a free thing. We try to earn God's love. So rather than gratitude for his grace um, overflowing into good works, we think, if I do enough good works, then maybe I will earn and deserve his grace. And this is one of the greatest traps that ensnares so many people. It is ridiculous how many Christians, even after years, will slide into believing this. If, you know, God must not like me today because I messed up. I'm sure God hates me. If I died right now, I don't know where I'd go because I messed up so bad today. I was such, oh, I didn't do it. But this false idea that you have to earn God's favor, that if you're ever going to get God to be good to you, you have to be worthy of his love. You've got to try hard and do good. And so we try volunteering. And being busy, we say yes to everything because i got to do enough good things to earn God's love. We try, I'm going to try to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do it real good. So God, you'll, you'll like me. You'll like me, God, so much because I, I know the Bible. You'll really be pleased. Um, we try maybe sometimes to give a certain amount. Maybe you even decide, I'm going to tithe and give 10% of my income so that God will be pleased with my generosity. But for all of our trying, what happens is it never seems to cut it. It never seems to make us feel closer to God when we're trying to earn God's favor. And the tragic irony is that even though we, we fall into this trap thinking, I want to be close to God, and the only way to be close to God is by cleaning myself up, the irony is that that never leads you to closeness with God. It just doesn't work. It leads a bunch of different places. Um, sometimes that, that path will lead to pride. 
If you ever met somebody that just like thought they were just doing really good, that they were really faithful, a really good Jesus follower, they would hook around like, I'm better than everybody else because I follow all the rules and I'm better than all you horrible, dirty people who don't follow all the rules. Uh, For a lot of people, this path of trying to earn God's favor, it just leads to guilt and shame over the course of your life because you mess up a lot and you think, man, I am never going to pull this off. I want to be good enough for God and I'm just not. And so you feel guilty every day that you've done this, you said that, you thought all these wrong things, and you're just not really adding up to being the person you want to be, and you want to be saved, you want to go to heaven, but you're just never going to be good enough to earn it. For some people, though, a lot of people, most people, this path leads to exhaustion. You try and you try and you try, and you never feel closer to God. You never feel at peace in your heart. You always feel like you've got more to do that you've never done enough because there's no rest, no peace on this path to trying to earn God's love. And perhaps the worst part about this path, it doesn't lead to God, but to everybody else in your life, it looks like you are so close to God and so godly. Because they see you serving and giving and doing and they think, man, I need to be more like them. Look how godly they are. And people are telling you how godly you are, but you don't feel it. And that makes you feel more guilty because it's like, why don't I feel it? Should I, am I doing something wrong? What's going on? Um, But it's it's an absolutely bankrupt way to pursue a relationship with God. You end up being busy with the things of God without actually ever getting closer to him. And this idea is called self-righteousness. It's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the idea that you can make yourself righteous. That if you just do enough right things, you will be righteous. And, and a lot of people have fallen for this trap throughout history. It's not a new thing. I can, you know, if I just do enough good things, then God will love me. I fall into it every now and then. I feel bad on my bad days, and I feel a little too good on my good days. Um, but, um, one example we see in the first century was the, there was a lot of people who were Jewish who were coming to faith in Christ. And the Jewish people had these very intricate laws that they had followed. The first set of laws was what you find in the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the laws of God, the laws of Moses, sometimes they're called. Um, they were following those, and they would be righteous and good. And then they added on top of it something called the Mishnah, Torah, Mishnah, Sounds like you sneezed. Um, But anyway, they have this other set of laws that's like um, extra strict laws so that if they keep the Mishnah, they'll never even come close to breaking the Torah. And so they would, um, uh, they they had spent their whole lives thinking, I keep the rules and then I've pleased God. And so then they become Christians and they struggled to realize that righteousness doesn't come from following all the rules because they're never going to nail it, but that righteousness is given to us through Jesus. And here's what Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to them in the letter of Romans. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's saying that righteousness doesn't come through the laws or following rules. It comes because Jesus gives us righteousness. When we put our life into his hands, he gives us righteousness. We don't earn it. We get it as a gift from him, freely given. And so he says they didn't submit to that. 
meaning they didn't trust that Jesus, is, what he did was really good enough. And sometimes, again, that's where we find ourselves. It's too good to be true. Jesus just wants to save me. Doesn't he know how I've lived my life and who I've been and the things I, the mess I still am? He still wants to love me and save me? Yeah. It's absolutely not fair in any sense of the word. And yet we, if we believe that it's, if we get caught up in that, we're going to try to live trying to be righteous, trying to be good enough for God. And, and it's going to not lead us anywhere. Because I don't know if you've noticed, we're not very good at being good. You might think you're okay some days, but most days you're not. You look at it as a society, as a human race over the course of history. We have brief pockets of really doing okay and being peaceful and loving, and then wars happen. And I mean, just as a species, we're not great at this. And so we're never going to really undo the evil that we've done or do enough good things to cover up the evil that we've done. And so if you believe that you have to be good in order for God to love you, that is probably going to be a guilt-ridden, terrifying way to live, never knowing where your eternity lies from day to day. But the beauty of the gospel is that you don't need to earn God's love and salvation. The true gospel is that he gives it freely to you through Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, again, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, but God, being rich in mercy. What's it mean to be rich? Got lots of it overflowing with mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace, again, grace, mercy, you getting what you do not deserve, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Meaning that our eternal security is taken care of. And then he says it one more time just in case we doubted it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not on your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a, work, not a result of work so that no one may boast. So if grace isn't something you have to earn, you can't get proud about it and go, I'm really nailing it today. You can't be self-righteous and proud of who you are and think you're better than other people. It's just a wonderful, amazing gift that God has given us. So we don't earn God's love. He already loves you. You don't purchase salvation. Jesus purchases it for you on the cross and gives it to you freely. And your religious activity will do nothing to buy the salvation of God because he freely offers it to you every moment of your life. And frenzied religious activity, it does not equate a soul that is surrendered to Jesus. And that's a tricky thing because it looks really good. And you can look really good and do lots of things. And one of the reasons why I think a lot of young people have been for decades being raised in church and then leaving the church is because we've kept them busy. We've done all kinds of trips and Sunday school lessons and service projects and summer things. And we've kept them busy with things that are Christian without ever really spending the bulk of our time helping them be introduced and have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And be changed by his just immeasurable, unbreakable love. And so when we get all of this stuff backwards, it, it doesn't help you anyway, in any way, shape, or form. It actually makes you tired and never leads you closer to God. That's the first trap. 
getting the gospel backwards, which just brings us to trap number two. Opposite end of the spectrum, having no activity at all. Okay, these are people whose life pours out nothing or very little. This is somebody who understands God's grace is a gift. I can't do anything to earn it, okay? And since activity doesn't earn me anything, I might as well have no activity. I might as well not waste my time doing a bunch of things. And this typically plays out in one of two ways. Um, One, it leads to a faith of minimum engagement. Uh, It used to be that the bare minimum of a Christian would be I show up every now and then, I give a little bit in the plate as it's passed or whatever. I might do something every now and then, serve here or there, but never regularly. Um, But that kind of day has passed, okay? Now what this kind of looks like is somebody who comes and does whatever um, they need to be a Christian according to whatever church they join, whether it's go through a class or get baptized or have meetings with the pastor or whatever. They do enough to where they think they're a Christian, and then they leave and never show up to be seen again. And they think, I've got what I needed out of this, um, and so I don't need any connection to church. I've kind of checked religion off the, I've checked the box of religion and making sure my eternity was set, and I can move on with my life. I got my ticket to eternity. Voila. I don't need to do anything because it's free. It's free. Like when, they, when you hand, get free samples at Sam's or some other store, like you don't take that sample up to the front and try to pay for it. You're like, no, it's free. It's free. I don't have to do anything. You just walk through the aisle, then put the hood up on your hoodie, take your glasses off, and go back through like you haven't been there the first time, right? That's how it works. Like it's free. Take advantage of it, right? That's kind of how our society works, okay? And so the other way this can play out, having no activity, is it, it becomes a very selfish faith. Okay, because if it's not about your activity, then church becomes what everybody else can do for you. Church becomes, and faith becomes about how you feel, about you trying to get out something of church. And so the sermon needs to be appealing. The, the music needs to be your style. Um, you need to, the whole service needs to make you feel a certain way, whether that is encouraged or inspired. Maybe you just like to have the warm and fuzzy feeling of being in church on Sunday. It reminds you of the good old days when you were a kid and everything was good and right with the world. Uh, Some people, the way they want to feel when they come to church is a little beat up. Some people don't feel like the preacher did his job unless he wasn't like, there wasn't a little bit of hellfire and brimstone and they don't feel a little bit knocked around when it's over. Whatever it might be though, the selfish faith says, this is about how I'm going to feel and what I'm getting out of it. Now this mentality, uh, with this mentality, you can hear hundreds of sermons, go to hundreds of Bible studies. You could have been to church every time the doors were open, but you experience very little transformation over time because your faith isn't about surrender. It's not about sitting here letting God fill you up. It's, about, it's, it's not about wanting to be like Jesus. It's about you feeling certain things in a certain time in a certain way. And so if there is any good work or activity that you do, it's because you know, you saw an opportunity and you thought, boy, that looks, so, that looks fun. Oh, volunteering with kids, that looks fun. I want to do something with, oh, that, that activity, I get to go, oh, that looks fun. It becomes a fun thing. And so even serving, it's about what you get out of it, what you feel from it. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about this second trap of claiming to be a person of faith when your life shows no signs of actually living out that faith. In James chapter 2, Verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now, I don't know if you could pick this up, but this is a rhetorical question. 
The answer is supposed to be obvious. What good is it if you have faith but have no works? The answer is no good. You've missed something huge. He says, can that faith save him? Again, it's a rhetorical question. We're supposed to go, no, I guess not. It can't. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Again, no good. This is our culture of thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Oh, yeah, someone posted, this just happened. My whole life fell apart. They put it on Facebook, and you, thoughts and prayers. Pray hands emoji. And then you don't think about it. You're like, time to, I did my part. I, I said nice things. I hope it goes well with you. Good luck. That's somebody else's problem to fix. And he's like, if you just do that, but don't think, maybe I should help. Maybe as a brother or sister in Christ, I should surround this person with love and care in that moment. He says, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? No good. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. He says, okay, show me your faith apart from your works. How are you going to show it to me? How are you going to prove to me that you have faith if your life has nothing pouring out of it? If you're not pouring out the grace and mercy of Jesus, how would I ever know that you're being filled up with the grace and mercy of Jesus? He says, you show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, this is meant like to be a kick. Like sometimes we read the Bible and we miss some of the tones of it. Like some of Jesus' parables are hilarious and we don't read them that way and we should. But this is like him like trying to give Christians a little bit of a kick to the gut so that they do a little introspection here. He's like saying, if your faith doesn't lead you to serve and give and be generous the way Christ has been generous with you, is that even faith? Are you even a Christian? And he would say, no. Because the natural, the natural state of somebody who is being filled with the overwhelming grace of God is that that's just going to pour over out of their life. Unfortunately, my best analogy is what's going to come out of the toilet is what's in the toilet. Um, And so what's unfortunate is that so many of us, we have knowledge of the grace of Jesus, but have not opened our lives and been grateful and surrendered to the grace of Jesus. We've been experiencing Jesus, um, because no, because truly experiencing Jesus, it does, it leads to that life of abundant grace and mercy. But if those things are absent, he says, man, there's a chance that maybe that's not genuine faith, that you might call yourself a Christian and might not be a Christian. Now, as a Christian, I read that and that makes me go, wait, like, it makes me want to ask that question. It makes me want to do a little self-check. So, you can have or encounters with the grace of Jesus and miss out on the grace of Jesus in multiple different ways. These are two traps on the opposite sides of the road, but they are equally dangerous to our faith. And so, as we encounter the grace of Jesus, and as we spend the next several weeks talking about the grace of Jesus and how it works through in our life and shows through as we pour ourselves out for others, we have to avoid those traps. Now, some of you, you need to let go of the, the guilt that you feel because you've gotten the gospel backwards and you think you've got to clean yourself up, that God would never love you as you are. But I could point you to a dozen different verses that tell you God loves you right in the mess of your life. That, yes, you've not lived up to what he wanted, but that doesn't mean he loves you any less. In the same way that a father or a mother, they don't stop loving their kids because their kids 
make a mess and do things that are wrong. Yeah, we get a little like, sometimes your kids make a mess and you just go, oh my gosh. Every day, man. Every day. Every day. Every day. Toothpaste in the sink. Every day. Like there's these things that like you just, you're a little frustrated by, but you don't stop loving them. You're still for them. You still reach out for them. You want them to be a part of your life. That's what the grace of God is like. Yes, you're a mess, but he absolutely still loves you. So stop feeling guilty. You're not going to be good enough, but he's good to you anyway. That should put an awe and inspire you to want more of him in your life. And then some of you, uh, you need to take James's words there and take some time to think. Go, why is it that I don't want to be gracious? Why is it that I'm so selfish? Why is it that I never want to serve? Why is it that I walk into church going, thinking that this is about me? Because he says there's a chance that you have missed something huge and that you have turned this selfish, this, or this beautiful, amazing thing into something so incredibly selfish and wrong. And we need to ask ourselves, why are we missing something so important? Because it is important that we properly see and respond to the grace and the salvation that God offers through Jesus so that we can live a life where we are truly pouring out the amazing grace that is every single day being poured into us. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your generosity that every day you show us love, you give us air to breathe, you give us food to eat, you give us places where we can come and encounter your love and generosity. Father, we are so grateful that out of your incredible mercy, you sent Jesus to die in our place. That though we lived lives that are far short of what you wanted for us, that Jesus came and he lived a good life of perfect righteousness. And then when he went to the cross, he took our sin and gave us his perfection. So that when we place our faith into the hands of Jesus and we trust him for our salvation, our sins are forgiven and we stand before you as if we are perfect even though we have not been. And that doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't seem fair because it's not fair that Jesus would get in trouble in our place and that we get to walk freely according to your goodness and grace. But I pray, Father, that we would be daily grateful for all that you do for us and through us. And so, Father, help us to be people who get the grace, uh, the gospel in the right direction and we receive your goodness first and then we want to live that goodness because we're so grateful for it rather than getting it backwards. And I also pray that we would be people who understand that we want our lives to be poured out, that just as Jesus gave everything for us, that we would be a people who give everything for you, Father, and everything for each other out of love and grace and mercy that, again, at times doesn't make sense, but it's beautiful and amazing all the way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.